Self-Help for Robots. I'm your host, CJ Pitchford, and this is episode 19, On the Edge. That is, the number 19 is my favorite number on a 20-sided die. I really believe, despite the fact that each possible result of a roll of the die would be equally possible, that I would see 19 come up more than any other. A result of 20 was, to me, a freak occurrence. Again, despite the equal probability that any number in any roll of any die could result at any time, was no more freaky than any other result. But 19 was the highest value, yet not quite at the upper bound of values, so it attracted my attention over all other possible values. Now, does that mean that I suck at probability? Well, we all do, as a logical fallacy that is a construct of our neural wiring. But it's not the reasoning mind that was attracted to 19 out of 20, but instead the irrational mind that finds meaning in patterns. Edge cases, you know, the old exception that defines the rule, help us find meaning in a world that's not all black and white, not all ones and zeros. I bet you can guess where I'm going with this, but Before I get to my point, I want to go back to a very fundamental definition of consciousness posited back in the very first episode of this podcast. My theory of consciousness is simple. Conscious awareness is literally the modulation of the electromagnetic signals of the brain. This can be simply understood like the sound of a motor. When the motor is running, it can't help but make a noise. Sometimes, There's a pattern to the noise, and changes in input, like higher fuel intake or even a misfire, can create changes in output. Now, the purpose of the motor isn't to make noise, by the way. The noise is just what you get when you run the motor. Imagine modifying the motor in order to modify the sounds, and then apply that to practicing speech patterns, learning new habits, learning how to process visual stimulus, Some habits may be deeply wired, and consciousness is there both as a product of the wiring and the means by which the wiring is routed or focused. I was actually taking a shower as I thought about the the above metaphor and fully realized that uh, a motor is really, really wrong as a meaningful way to describe what consciousness can do. I mean, consciousness is, well, really a way to be, wait for it, in tune with our environment. Yes, sing kumbaya for consciousness. Um, close enough, anyway. You know, bathed in the soft warmth of falling water, I was mindful of the fact that the universe is really a hostile environment, mostly vacuum. There are also horribly powerful gamma rays and other radiation that would scatter critical parts of my soft bits quite catastrophically. Only in the warm embrace of a protective Gaia, can I be safe, potentially, but without guarantee, of being able to contemplate my consciousness and enjoy a shower? My limited senses aren't capable of detecting the baryons that would precede the deadly gamma radiation emitted by a distant supernova, but they are in tune with uh, my more, say, immediate environment. 
the ability to discern light and sound, and, and you know that gives me a sense of the environment around me and the sense of a simulation being constantly modified by changing inputs. My consciousness, at the time I was bathing, was completely and harmoniously in tune with my somewhat limited environment. I could see the steam, I could hear the water falling, and I was aware that I was standing in water and wet. My consciousness was subsumed by the sensory experience in sight, sound, and touch. Of course, being aware of my situation in other ways is also part of my consciousness. Before I ran out of hot water, I had a plan to wash and condition my hair. I had a memory that I had recently conditioned my beard. My consciousness had enveloped past present and future within a single coherent representation of my immediate surroundings, and it also had an inner voice to ask questions and posit some possible answers. You might be completely wondering by now where I'm going with this, but I beg your patience. You know, even before we get there, let's go way back to the very edge of life when life began. You see, I can imagine that a very simple organism could have a very simple nervous system. In fact, it seems evident that if a living being could differentiate touch as a stimulus, even if nothing else, there could be considerable selective advantage over life forms incapable of the sense of touch. In a world where there's only eat or be eaten, a specific response to touch can increase a reproductive advantage over competitors for the same limited resources on whatever safe haven. You know, a specific model for touch, in fact, in the simplest of organisms, you know, something like a model, you know, a simple model, would suffice. Now, most of the time, the baseline of this model could represent a neutral state where there was no touch but it would have to accurately represent a bad touch on one hand and a good touch on the other, so I, as a living being, could respond appropriately. The model can manifest physically as a different frequency response in an electrical pathway, with evolution as the guiding selective force shaping that model. I'm not quite to the stage where I'm referring to, you know, trees talking to each other yet, but that consciousness at an elemental level, could be present in very simple organisms. Referring to the sense of touch, I've already mentioned one axis of measurement, good, neutral, and bad. But there must be another axis as well, a sense of self. You know, one that could indeed be limited to just one axis, the sense of me, and, you know, Everybody else just doesn't count. <laughs> but an organism needs to know the context of the stimulus. You know, am I the one feeling the good touch? You know, I have to make sure I've got the domain correct. And, you know, there might be a default as far as, you know, the lowest and the common possible value. So that neutral sense um, may be something that is, uh, you know, where it's a default state. Um, but as you just heard, irrational behavior limited to stimulus and reaction can be modeled in that simplest form with just those two axes, that axes of, you know, the touch being good or bad and the domain of, well, where that touch is happening. Now, sophistication within the values bounded by the limits of the axes produces more sophisticated models. And somewhere around here, as you might have guessed if you've been listening to the other podcasts, I'm sure that there's an orthographic model of emotions using three-dimensional axes. So there's that. And we're right now on the very edge of working on that. So until next time, keep helping yourself.